A couple of years ago, I was traveling in Texas and I got a chance to meet this guy and we hit it off immediately. Man, I was so impressed by Ed Newton, who he is, what kind of man he is. But the more that I started to listen to him, the more that I realized this guy has a little bit of a strange accent. I'm not really sure where this accent comes from because it doesn't sound like it comes from a particular region. He just pronounces words a little bit different. And then somebody told me Ed's story. And you're going to get a chance to hear Ed's story. This is a real life version of the Apple movie Coda today. So sit back and listen as I introduce you to Dr. Ed Newton on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Ed Newton, buddy, it is good to see you, man. It's been a minute since you and I were together in San Antonio. I miss you already, man. <laughs> Come on. Every time I see a uh, some type of military strategic operative show, I, I think I just think Struker, man. That's what I, honestly I'm like. Is is Struker in that? Is he a part of that that Delta Force? What would Struker do? I'm I'm getting bracelets that say what would Struker do. <laughs> I gotta tell people about the time that we spent together a couple of years ago, but we'll get there in just a few minutes. Because man, you rolled out the red carpet for me. You treated me like I was a celebrity when I, uh, you know, and uh, you 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 gave me a great time. And by the way, the guys that you were hanging out with, those guys know how to party. They do, man. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, when you take some ex-military guys and uh, bring us all together in some brotherhood, not that I'm an ex-military guy, but I'm a huge admiration uh -huh. guy of military guy. And I just, it's a sweet, sweet sauce of fun of guys that get together like that. Absolutely. So thank you again for coming. Our guys still talk about you, man. Oh, man. Well, I tell people about you guys because, like I said, you guys know how to party down there in San Antonio. It's the, it's the guacamole, man. Yeah, it's of the course. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, I want people to get to know you a little bit and find out who Ed Newton is. So let's talk about growing up. Well, actually, born in North Carolina. What part of North Carolina were you born, born in? Yeah, born in Charlotte, North Carolina, raised in a little town outside of Hot Point called Trinity. And Trinity, uh, North High Point, I mean, it's the furniture capital of the world. And uh, matter of fact, grew up sweeping floors for my daddy, who was a furniture builder. Really? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but I have a connection to North Carolina, too. I go there back and forth. In fact, I'm on my way to North Carolina tomorrow to spend a couple of days with some leaders out there, hoping to learn something from them. And maybe they'll learn something from me at a seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I love yeah, yeah. the folks up in North Carolina. That's great. There's two things, two things, Jeff. One, cheer wine, which is sounds yep. like alcohol, only people alcohol, from North Carolina know and South Carolina know cheer wine. Yep. Two, if anybody from North Carolina is watching this, and this is where they, they, they begin to determine whether or not I'm like a true North Carolina guy. It's called Nieces. It's like Nieces meat. And it's like, we call it liver pudding. And, um, it's it's the it's like basically like a, a square hot dog. <laughs> liver pudding. He just said for all of the listeners out there that missed that, he just said liver pudding or imagine pudding. putting a square hot dog in your mouth. <laughs> I love it. Um, when did the you family might, you might have to edit that? Yeah, you might have right? to edit that. But... Now people are right now searching for liver pudding on the internet. Like, how do I buy some of that at Amazon? Hashtag North Carolina. Yeah. Uh when did your family move to Florida? Why did your family move to Florida? Yeah, I was in the third grade. Uh, my dad's from Florida originally. My dad grew up in Daytona Beach, and my dad went to what a school called North, or excuse me, uh, Florida School for the Deaf and Blind, which is in St. Augustine. Oh, yeah, That's great city. Great, great school, great city. And then so just ended up going back to uh, his roots in Florida. We landed in Orlando. Uh -huh. My dad was a small engine repair guy. And for our studio audience today and our listening audience today, my dad, was, my dad was deaf. My dad passed away a couple months ago. My dad was deaf, like 100% deaf, and born scarlet fever. So, oh, some old school man. cats watching yeah. the show right now yeah. back in the day. Scarlet fever was, was difficult for a lot, a lot of families. And my dad had scarlet fever when he was born and uh, was deaf. And, but, and in that world kind of prior to ADA, like, 
American Disability Act compliance. Yeah. Man, deaf people had to learn a trade. Yeah. And my dad, my dad went to a school that taught him how to work a print press. And I'm talking about old school reels, uh-huh. ink, you know, all that stuff. And then my dad went and got a certificate to become a small engine repair guy. And crazy story, super talented as a carpenter, super talented as it just, he was just a man's man. I mean, he, he was a cage fighter before there was cage fight. All you right. Know, 154 pounds, five, nine, and had what we call cable strength. You know, he just, you couldn't break him. but he was such an incredible mechanic in Florida. So he's a small engine repair guy. Uh-huh. Fixing chainsaws, weed eaters, all that kind of stuff. Well, if you if you want to get in that business, you wanted to be a part of Sears Roebuck back yeah. in the oh, day. Oh, yeah, of course. Where the they, big they boy on the block. Engine. Yeah, there you go. They had a small engine section of what they used to do. My dad got a, a great job opportunity, and, and we uprooted and went to Orlando where the grass is green all year long, and uh-huh. that means mowers got to be fixed. So yeah. third grade. Yeah. So I, I grew up more, mostly in Florida. Um, you're so spoiler alert for the listeners. I know this about you. Everybody who knows you is kind of familiar with this part of your story, but you grew up as the only child of parents that were both deaf. Was your Mm -hmm. mom totally deaf also? Yeah. My mom was, uh, what they call hearing impaired. Uh And so my mom, I mean, this is a medical situation where my grandmother RH factor where the the, the body fights against a pregnancy. That's what caused my mom to be deaf. And she had cerebral palsy. She had cerebral and, palsy too. Yeah, yeah, cerebral palsy. And uh, so crazy story. My mom and dad meet. She went to North Carolina school for the deaf and blind. Uh-huh. And my dad went to Florida school for the deaf and blind. And uh, they had this big alumni function. Two schools play each other. A bunch of deaf people get together. They meet. My, my mom and dad get married and my mom can't have kids. And obviously really? just, yeah, she couldn't have kids. She was told uh-huh. medically she'd never have children. and just it's a miracle so they they tried to have kids for six years apparently my mom passed away a couple two years ago my dad passed away a couple months ago and i started to learn all this stuff kind of yeah, towards the yeah. end of their life yeah they couldn't have kids they tried for six years and um my mom crazy story i just read this in my grandmother's journal my mom went to a, a tent healing service all right <laughs> so check this out my my mom, my, my grandmother's journal says we go to a, a, a tent healing service. And, and I, I know there's probably a lot of thoughts of people. Yeah, there's lots right of now. people we, with images rushing through their mind the, right now. Yep. Yeah, we, we've seen all the weird that uh-huh. happens and all that stuff. And my mom goes to this and she's deaf. And this guy talking from the stage picks out my mom and says, you're going to you're going to have a baby. No way. Yes. So my mom's deaf doesn't understand. She can't hear a word because nobody's signing for him, right? Nobody's signing. Yeah. So she doesn't know what he's saying. He's just pointing at her. Pointing at her. And she's like, to her mom, my grandmother, what's he saying? She's like, this is the word for what are you saying? And uh, it's like, what is he saying? And my grandmother goes, he says you're pregnant. (laughs) 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 And, and. Man, I was born. That is incredible. <laughs> what? That's incredible, man. So my mom and dad would always tell me there's something special about you, something special yeah. about you. And um, so, you know, born hearing, it's not genetic. I, I'd learned that along the way. Some, I mean, my situation was not genetic. I, I didn't get cerebral palsy and I wasn't deaf. And I, I Listen, I wouldn't have been opposed to that if that's what God wanted right. for me. But, but um, I grew up with two deaf parents. Number one question I get, Jeff, how does I, how do I learn? How did I learn how to talk? Yeah, I don't even know. I have no idea. I was I about to say nothing. Right now, people are asking all kinds of questions <laughs> about you. Like, if you're the oh, hey, by the way, I just watched the Apple movie Coda, where yes, there's one member of the family that can speak and hear, and everybody else around them is deaf. And that movie just describes beautifully what it looks like for the the one person in the family that can hear. Yep. Everybody's wondering right now, like, what was this like for you as a kid, and how did you learn to communicate, and what was school like, and like fifty other questions. So, man, just 
if you don't mind, hit the highlights of the questions that are running through people's yeah. minds about <laughs> you right now. Like, how did you do this, Ed? Yeah, well, Coda, child of deaf adult is what that means. And um, man, back in the day, and, and Coda, that that film was absolutely breathtaking for yeah, me to watch. It was because awesome. that was that was my story, minus the fact I couldn't sing and I didn't have a, a, a deaf <laughs> brother. And uh and I wasn't a part of a fishing industry. But my mom and dad depended on me to interpret everything. everything. Yeah. Everything. So um, imagine imagine any form of interaction with a a parent that's deaf with a hearing world, which is everywhere. I was the mediator. Yeah, you were basically their translator for translator. everything. Everywhere I went, I had to make sure they understood what was going on. So at the age of five, six, seven, eight, where I was able to at least talk, um, I just learned this just because I told you my parents just passed away. And some of the stuff my before before my dad died, he said, he said, he said, son, you helped me negotiate buying a house when you were 10. No, my I'm sorry, my aunt, my aunt told me this what? after my dad died at his memorial service. Wow. You you helped him interpret brokering a deal on buying some house. At 10 years like, old. At 10 years old. Holy cow. <laughs> and uh Every doctor's visit, a funny story is my dad's passing a kidney stone. And uh, it hurts like murder. Yeah, so he's driving and, and, and like just about to pass out. We get into the emergency room. I'm interpreting. All I know is my dad's junk hurt. That's yeah, all it know. hurts down there where it's not <laughs> supposed to hurt. I'm like, he's hurting. We go back. He's screaming. I'm interpreting. I'm like nine. Ten. He's butt naked. I am trying to figure out how you do this without cursing while you're signing for your dad that it hurts down there for him. Yeah. I'm like, it hurts down there. You know, <laughs> and then we get back there. He's on a gurney. He's butt naked. He's screaming. I'm like, I don't, there's something wrong. You know, so my whole life was that of, interpreting with my uh, mom and dad for meals, uh, utility bill discrepancies. Um, oh my goodness, man. I, listen, this Jeff, I think our audience would love to hear this. Do you remember the movie Hellraiser? Yeah, of course. Pinheads. Remember yeah. that? The pinhead, uh -huh. right? yeah. My first movie I go see as a kid is Hellraiser <laughs> with my dad. Sure. <laughs> and so, and this is the sign for half, right? Uh -huh. You don't have to be fluent in signs. Yeah. So uh, this is my, my childhood as a kid. Go to the box office. Say, we, I need two tickets. I'm a kid. Yeah. Trying to explain. You need two explain. tickets to the movie Hellraiser. Yeah. I, I said, um, two tickets for Hellraiser. She looks at me and she goes, it, you can't go. It's R. I'm like, yeah. you know, elementary. I go, right. He's deaf. I'm interpreting. And then, then my dad hits me with, tell him to give us half. Yeah. Off. He wants a discount because he of wants a discount. Right. <laughs> so I'm now negotiating a discount at Hellraiser. This elementary age child trying to get into an adult movie and trying to negotiate a better deal for it. So I'm interpreting the whole movie. That was my childhood. My dad was a big movie guy. Yeah. And, um, we just saw Top Gun too, right before he died. And they now have, technology where it's a little apparatus that gives you close caption. Oh yeah. Movie. Wow. It's incredible. Awesome. But, but back in the day, that was me sitting next to my dad interpreting everything. Signing every word of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my childhood was filled with all of that, but I look back on it. I think about my dad, my dad couldn't hold a job because once more ADA compliance, right. there was no yeah. rules and regulations. They'd make up crap, you know, Hey, uh, if a, literally my dad got fired one time, they were like, you know, we are tired of writing stuff down to help you understand. Yeah. He, he couldn't hold a job. So I started his own stuff. My mom, check this out, Jeff, my mom, um, when ADA became a thing, uh -huh. equal opportunity for people with disability. Yeah. I was about to say like, for those of you that are living outside the United States, this was when the U S government said, we have to treat people with disabilities like correct. everybody else. We're going to make it. So that they Make can, happen. Uh, you know, live like everybody else can.
Sorry, exactly. go ahead. My mom, and my mom applied at the American uh, or the United States Post Office. Five dollars an hour sorting mail, and um, so we're, we're living on social security yeah. disability. Yeah. Both my parents, and this comes about, and my mom starts off making minimum wage, and I remember my dad going, "No, no, no, you're going to make less money." Working, working at the post office than than actually getting a social security yeah. security disability check and my mom was like i want to do something all right and um she sorted mail and then it was a christmas time orlando florida it, it's on Tradeport drive it's the uh-huh. big big one in orlando they needed help in the finance department to sort through um payroll and my mom's a mathematical wizard and uh and she never left the the, the finance department retired uh-huh. from the united states post office my dad had no benefits because he was self-employed. Yeah. And and my mom, because of that opportunity, was able to set my dad up with insurance after she passed uh, away. So, yeah. so my whole story was basically my mom and dad were underdogs. My mom and dad um were discriminated against because of their disability. Deaf yeah. and dumb was a phrase they heard all oh, the yeah, time. Of course. I got in fights with I mean, I literally fought my way through school because somebody say something stupid about my parents and, and I'd, I'd lose my crap on people, man. I, I had a temper. Um, I was always defending and protecting and advocating for my mom and dad. So look back on it. I am who I am because of those days. Yeah. Well, you had to grow. So look like you, man, I grew up on government assistance in government mm-hmm. housing and it's just rough and that kind of lifestyle. But I had, a I had parents that just you know, they divorced and, and it was difficult. I didn't mm-hmm. have deaf parents that literally the, the, the nation was stacked, stacked against them. So man, tell me a little bit about what it was like to try to scrape some money by and pay the bills while you're living yeah. on food stamps in government housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting season of life. Just, just, well, first of all, I, I think anybody that grows up in a sense of poverty and you've seen poverty because you've been out of the, outside of our country when we say poverty, it's so much different than third world poverty. Yeah. Our poor, everybody else in the world says, I would it's love exactly to be right. poor in your country. The rest of the world's poor. That's abject poverty. Different. It's different. And, and so when I use poverty, I, I just have to always qualify it with that. And because um, we had a roof over our head and we had food mm-hmm. on the table. It just wasn't the food that everybody else was eating. And I think for me, looking back on it, I didn't know we were poor, Jeff. I didn't. That, that's the crazy thing when people are like, what was it like? I was like, it, it was normal. I, I thought living yeah. in the in the living room on the couch as that being my bedroom was normal. Well, I got to ask then when you were growing up and all you knew around you were parents that were disabled, you had to kind of view this is normal for me, right? Translating for my mom and dad and mm-hmm. helping them navigate through life. That's all you've known. So that's going to be normal for you until you start to get to school. And kids start making fun of the way you talk or you start yep. to realize, man, I don't I haven't learned what others have learned because my parents can't mm-hmm. read literally. I mean, can't uh, yeah. they, they don't learn and, and listen at this uh, like everybody else's parents. Right. So what was school like for you, man? I'll give you I'll give you a case in point. Man, it wasn't until I was in college. This, this is going to sound so crazy. I thought because when you talked about my parents learning uh, challenges. Phonetically. My my parents weren't saying words correctly that yes, I was course. hearing that right. I just thought were normal. Case in point, Home Depot is a silent T. But if you're deaf, it's Home Depot. All right. My whole middle school, high school, college, it wasn't until I was a college You were getting student. up and going to Home Depot today. Home Depot. And everybody would laugh and I'd be like, maybe it's just my accent or whatever. Dude, but I, you know, I had some learning disabilities, man. I had some challenges academically. I struggled because I couldn't come home and ask my parents to help me with algebra. Yeah, right. Because they were at a trade based uh-huh. school. So that I, my senior year of high school, true story, perfect score, sixteen hundred on an SAT. I make a five forty. You get 400 points for signing your name correctly. What? Yeah, straight up. I, I make a 540, take it again, get a 560. Guidance counselor looks at me at this public school in Orlando. was like, hey, um, you're just not college material. Yeah, you're going to need to go start working on small engines with your dad. That's exactly right. And so at that time, 
my dad was working at UCF, University of Central Florida, in the uh-huh. print press. So my dad works at the school, and Valencia Community College is the is school down the road. Uh-huh. And nobody would take me. Nobody would take me. They wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot no, pole because of that SAT score. Wouldn't touch me. And uh, I remember, and this is why I have such a huge affinity in my heart. I was 18 years old as a high school senior. I wanted to play college basketball, but I couldn't play college basketball because I couldn't pass the SAT. And my dreams crumbled. Uh, in April, I'm about to graduate. And an ROTC recruiter talked to me, um, Marine Division, and Uh basically just said, hey, listen, Ed, GI Bill's your way out. And I was about to take the GI Bill and go go down there because I wanted to get an education. And I got a last minute opportunity at a small private college in South Florida to play basketball that, that basically, because they're a private school, you have to take an admissions exam. I end up on academic probation before I end up at the school. And I end up going to, to, to play basketball at this college. And that's the fork in the road for me. And I'll go back to Coda, the story that you talked about, the movie. Yeah. The tension that girl wrestled with in that yeah, movie. Yeah, of course. Was her I'm mom abandoning and my family if I yeah. do this, right? So, and, and here I am, I'm 18, I want out, I want to see the world, I want to go pursue my dreams. And, and the reason why I bring that movie up, I bawled in that movie at CODA, just it broke me because she, she felt like she was leaving her mom yeah. and dad. And I underestimated the sacrifice that my mom and dad made uh-huh. for me because when I was 18 and I moved out to go to college, they didn't stop me. Yeah. They, they actually encouraged me. And, and man, I wish I could go back. You know, I, I, my parents passed away, so yeah. I never got a chance to really look at them and say, thank you yeah. for not holding me back. You let me go. I'm the first one in my family to get a college degree. Wow. Hey, man, no shame in saying it. That movie brought me to tears. I was so blown away by how well they described what life was like for this girl in the movie Coda. Mm-hmm. When everything around her is deaf, but she can hear and how much her family is dependent on her. Man, no wonder you're the first person to get a college degree. But I also got to say, you must hold the record then if you're already on academic probation and the school hasn't even started for you. Like, is that a record right there or what? No, I, I, I tell you, um, basically, the true story, you know, anytime a, a class starts with zero, Jeff, that means you, you pay a lot of money for zero credit. <laughs> And, okay. uh, and I took English 099, failed it. First semester, midterms, 1.5. I'm about to flunk out of college. Uh-huh. You got to have a 2.0 to play college basketball. I just, man, the one thing I learned um, that I felt like God had gifted me with is I could, I could, I could talk people into some stuff, you know? Okay. So, All right. Yeah. You've like, been doing it since you were nine years old, yeah, trying to, like, trying to get a discount on the movie here. Hellraiser. Give me a chance. I'm supposed to be here. I get a 2.0 my first semester. And then I meet and my- you were the happiest man on earth. Man, I meet my wife. I meet my All wife, right. Jeff. She was uh, uh, just a background on, on Stephanie. We've been married almost 25 years. And, and I'll tell you, the crazy thing about Stephanie is she's so crazy talented and gifted and smart. She ended up graduating and working as a geneticist at St. Jude Children's Hospital. That's how smart she is. Yeah. So she starts helping me. So I literally about get uh, kicked out of school for just my grades, my first Uh semester to end up being on the president's list. But when I graduated, no way. (laughs) Did you tell them they need to stencil Stephanie's name underneath yours on that diploma? Because you found this scorching hot tutor that helped you make your way through school. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And by the way, um, if you're driving and listening to this podcast, you don't get a chance to see Ed's very impressive tennis shoe collection (laughs) that's on the shelf right behind his head. Obviously, this man loves basketball, loves some ball shoes because he's got a lot of really well-worn shoes. Hey, man, tell me a little bit about your basketball prowess while you're in college. I was horrible. I I was awesome. I I rode the end of the bench. I, um. My big claim to fame was it was Division 14. Nobody cared. And um, I was on the pine for three of the four years. Um, finally got to play my senior year. Right. Finally got to be, you know, second team all conference. I still, that's my claim to fame with my eighth grade son. He all thinks right. he could take me, you know. I'm a realist, Jeff. 
He wants to play college basketball. I go, hey, listen, if you can't beat your almost 48-year-old dad, <laughs> you're not yeah. going to play college basketball. Right. So you better step your game up. So. And we're recording this interview right now <laughs> just smack in the middle of March Madness, which means basketball is consuming America. Yes. I got to know, you got any favorites in the men or women's bracket right hey, now? Because well, we're about halfway through. Yes. A women's bracket. Listen, I'd like to see UConn come back and, 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 uh, they, right. you know, they're not, they've not been the dynasty, but I'd like yeah. to see them. South Carolina has always been a great, I mean, they're great right now, but here's, here's my sleeper in the women's, my women's bracket, old miss for real old miss, old miss. Okay. Yeah. Co- coach, coach. O. she, she's a believer in discipline structure. She's just, she's an up and coming coach. You got to check her out. She's, she's incredible and uh, got a lot of, um, what, what did she say? She said, I, I was a girl with a dollar and a dream. I, I a just, dollar and a dream. Dollar right. and a dream. So I'm watching, and, and they were a team that knocked out a, a number one seed. And I'm like, yeah. that's the, that's the team. All right. And I'm a Duke fan by heart. We got okay. second round um, right now. I'm paying attention to Gonzaga. I, I just Are think you? like, yeah. man, Gonzaga, y'all been, y'all been here. Maybe this is yep. the year. Maybe this is the year. I don't play any attention to college basketball, but I cannot help but watch what Princeton is doing right now. Look, I don't like Ivy League schools. I don't even like college basketball, but I have got every fiber <laughs> of my being cheering on this. This is the ultimate underdog story. Yes. By the time this thing airs, they'll probably get summarily defeated in <laughs> You know, the next the next round. But man, I'm sitting there watching Tr- Princeton saying, look at these guys go. Go for it. You guys go all the way. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Absolutely. They, they put together some type of mathematical formula. That's, yeah. That's, that's, there, there's some eggheads with slide rulers up there that said, hey, I think if we did this, we could win a couple of games. Using a protractor in a 90 degree yep. angle, man. That's, that's they're right. They're doing it. They're doing it. Yep. Good for Princeton. Hey, um, I want people to hear. You overcame a lot of educational challenges, man. You really were unbeatable in the classroom because you had every card stacked against you. And I think the listeners need to know that I'm speaking to Dr. Ed Mm, Newton right now. So you didn't slow down. You kept on going. You ultimately ended your degree at Memphis Mid-America. Tell everybody what you did there and and how that went for you. Yeah, I think for me, it was just graduating college was the, was the goal. And yeah, then, sure. And then at that time I knew in, in the profession that I was pursuing, trying to get some more credentials would be super helpful in building a resume. And, and so just went on to get a master's degree in religious education and then a master's de- degree in divinity. And then just went two masters, double masters. Listen to this guy. Yeah, well, listen, when you can't pass the SAT, it's almost like that. That's the reminder. And you said, Hey, Stephanie, we're going to do another master's together, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So for me, it wasn't so much about um, GPA. It was it was about just dedication, devotion, sticking to it. And it was it was discipline. So the journey for me in education, honestly, my wife was I I told her the other day she's pursuing her master's degree, which so she's on. She's I won't mention her her age, but she's going back. We got four babies. They're all from college. So here's mama who's got babies in college. That's going back to get a master's degree. She and, is uh, good for her. Yeah. And so I said, I know the one thing you won't be doing is asking me to proof any papers like I did with you. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, that dream, um, man, through devotion, dedication, hard work, a lot of people believing in me along the way, I got to give a shout out to, um, some people in my life that just one, I, I, I just had a man named Danny Sinkfield. Got to give a shout out to him. If he ever comes All across right. this, that, that, was able through the organization he was a part of to pay for my master's degrees. Really? Yep. And my wow. doctorate degree. And for yeah. that, I wouldn't have been able to do it. If yeah. It wasn't for him. Sure. So shout out to Danny Sinkfield, Memphis, yeah. Tennessee. But Ed, I, I mean, anybody who's listening at this point is starting to hear your story and realize you have all of the cards stacked against you educationally, like just growing up in a home with mom and dad at a trade school that don't learn, didn't get the opportunity to learn like everybody else. Their other students would have just thrown in the towel. They would have said, I'm stupid when they got that first SAT score, but you didn't. Other students would have just folded that first semester of school when you're about to fail out of an 099 class and you didn't. Man, 
your story over and over again says you're, you're facing incredible hardships that are no fault of your own. You were just born into these circumstances and you don't give up. But let's just be honest, you and I both know people that have been through less and thrown in the towel. So mm-hmm. I, as I hear your story, man, part of me wants to know, like, Ed, how do you do it? How do you not give up? Like, what's keeping you going when everybody else around you would say, you know what? I'm done. I quit. It's, it's too hard. Man, what a question that is specifically because w- without even hesitation, Jeff, it's Jesus. It's, it is Jesus. I, I didn't grow up in church. So when you have two deaf parents, so anybody listening is like, oh, okay, here's the religious thing. Here it goes. Yep. Listen, I, I didn't grow up in church. When you have two deaf parents, I mean, think about this. There's not an interpreter at churches. Yeah, nobody's signing for your nobody's parents, signing so no for reason to go. Dad. So if nobody's signing for mom and dad, then I'm not going. And Man, I, my life as a middle school kid, Jeff, was so, because I had to grow up real fast. So yeah. I'm running with an older group of dudes. And fighting for everything. Fighting for your parents' honor and basically fighting to pay the bills for Correct. mom and dad so that the world doesn't take advantage of them. Correct. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm in fighter mode constantly. And uh, my mom and dad on my 15th birthday in high school, literally, I, I'm almost expelled out of middle school for lighting off a firecracker in a public school assembly. <laughs> Some other stuff. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh no, at that, but I just got to because it sounds classic, Ed, man, right there, man. It, I mean, I, I'm literally uh, about to get kicked out of middle school. I, since I had to interpret for my dad, I tell my dad I'm the best thing that's ever happened to school. My, yeah, I they want to. They want to do a parent-teacher conference because I'm so awesome. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, in that moment, my dad, for the first time, I realized my dad can read lips. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and my dad, so. Long story short, I, I had a, a pretty horrific eighth grade experience at a lot of levels. Yeah. And I realized that my decisions were crushing my parents. My, my 15th birthday, 1990, I, uh, my mom and dad find an interpreter in a church. Uh-huh. And they tell me, they go, hey, listen, it's your birthday. And you have literally, in quotations, you've made our life so miserable. Wow. That we're not, we told all our family, don't send you a card. We're not celebrating anything. Wow. Like it was, it was hard truth. Like, listen, we want to celebrate you, but we can't, we just can't. And we found a church and we went to this church on a Wednesday night and Jeff, I don't remember everything that guy said. All Uh I know is Jesus died for all my sin. And I knew my sins were many. And if I put my faith and trust in him, I'd get a second chance. Wow. And so for me, when I heard that, that Jesus loved me enough to die for me and your sins can be forgiven. And I knew my sins were much the stuff I'd done. I I knew like I was going to split hell wide open and Jesus, um, man, he changed me that night. And and I'd love to be able to say everything changed immediately, but I mean, it was a slow, gradual deal. So for me personally, I'm on the other side of this incredible interview with you with a legend that I, I greatly respect because of the fact, not just because I've overcome adversity, but because of the fact that Jesus is the one that made me. Yeah, man, you're talking straight to me right now, Ed, because your story and my story are almost identical. 13 years old. I am making every wrong decision. I'm heading down every wrong road and I don't darken the doors of a church ever And then my neighbors come knock on my door and they just start to tell me about this guy who loved me enough to die for me. And radically in one night, man, life just took a totally different turn. I woke up the next morning and I was completely Mm -hmm. different and I got nothing to, or, you know, nothing to show for. I didn't do anything here. It was all done for me and inside of me, man. And I hope listeners are hearing your story and saying, man, if he can do that for Jeff, if he can do that for Ed, maybe he can do that for me too. Absolutely. And, and here's what I've realized. Jesus is not just this uh, historic, stoic figure. Yeah. Like he's a warrior. Absolutely. Man, he's a warrior. And he fought for me, died mm-hmm. for me, came back from the dead for me and everybody that's listening to give us and here's what I've realized. My whole life, Jeff, I thought I was the underdog. What if we're not the underdog? Because by ourselves, we are the underdog. Yeah, of but course. But when we got the ultimate warrior with us, it's actually in our favor. 
No yeah. situation. When he's on your side, you are on the winning winning side. I know how the story ends. Right. We win. So that's, to me, I am where I am today. One word, Jesus. I am right with you, man. I would be dead in a ditch or in prison for the rest of my life. Yes, sir. Except for one word. Jesus stepped down and he found the worst sinner at 13 years old that he could find on planet earth and said, I'm going to grab that kid yep. and I'm going to change his life. Hey, y'all watch this. Come on. Hey, um, we got a sponsor. Um, these guys are raising up disciples, sending them all over. The, actually, they're creating teams of disciples and they got a plan to take over the world. I want to tell you about my friends at Go Ministries. In fact, I want you to hear from Will Pardon. And then when we come back, listeners, you got to hear what happens next when Ed steps into a church and realizes I'm in over my head because this church is in deep, I'm going to say deep, deep, that's three deep, 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 deep water the moment that you step in the door. But hey, Ed, check out this sponsor, um, Go Ministries, will you? Hi, my name is Will Pardon. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one -on -one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or a disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. Ed, we're back. So you and Stephanie start doing some speaking and you start traveling around and you start telling people about this Jesus that changed your life. And actually, you spend 20 years of your life doing it, man, as an evangelist. What were those 20 years like when you were on the road and trying to raise a family and all of that? Yeah, it was actually 13 uh, full time. You okay. know, like there was some when you add up kind of the youth pastor days and all that kind of stuff, man, that, that definitely adds it up to 20, but 13 on the road, full time, uh, crisscrossing the country, being invited to every function, every event and saying yes to it and trying to figure out how to provide for my family and, yeah. and our kids. And, uh, what a journey that's been. And, being on the road as an evangelist, which, you know, once more, I mentioned earlier, I didn't grow up in church. The yeah. only idea of an evangelist that I'd seen was Billy Graham. And I was like, <laughs> crap, I ain't that cool. Ain't, I'm, ain't not, I'm no Billy Graham. Yeah. To come hear me. So that journey was an incredible journey, but, but it was primarily with the next generation. Yeah. And speaking to middle school students, high school students, college students, just, Really, what you heard earlier—that that man, little is much when God is in it. Uh huh. No story is is a is a the end story until Jesus steps into it and He actually helps you understand that there's a better ending than what you thought. And uh, just sharing a message of hope with people—if God can do something with me, He could definitely do something with oh, you. Yeah. So yeah. that that was the journey, man. Two hundred days a year. Oh man, um, that is a brutal lifestyle. Brutal, brutal. Still playing a lot of catch up with my kids and. Yeah. Um, and, and that's actually how, which is so crazy of how I ended up becoming a pastor of this particular church, because that's how they found me. I got a phone call one particular day and, uh, a, a guy at this church, the founding pastor's son called me and he said, Hey Ed, we found you on YouTube. Don't, you don't know me. You, <laughs> <laughs> we were just out randomly searching for pastors on YouTube. <laughs> well, it was actually for a men's conference. It was okay. like, hey, can you, it's the event that you came right. and spoke to us. And, and Hey, would you come and speak um, at our church? And it's like, love to. Did that six years in a row. And, okay. And continued to travel and speak. And one of my favorite places to come was this church. And, and then, man, God started doing something in my heart and just said, hey, Ed, really want you to be a pastor. And I was like, not me. Not I, interested, right? Not interested. I, this this road thing's kind of my deal. You know, if people don't like me, um, they just don't invite you me can, back. You could just leave. I can make people <laughs> mad and leave. <laughs> exactly. 
And um, man, he called me. Robert Emmett uh, called me in 2015. And uh, and literally, I don't know if you can see this or not. Yeah. It's this Bible right here. Uh-huh. It says in his Bible, Lord, send Ed Newton to be the lead pastor of this church. Wow. And, um, and I was like, God. So he calls me. He says, God told me to tell you you're supposed to be the pastor of this church. I started laughing. I was like, all right. I was like, Pastor Robert, I've never done this before, man. Yeah. Never. I need to make sure that the audience didn't miss that. Never pastored a church. Been in lots and lots of churches, but never pastored a church. And now you're asking me to come to a massive church in San Antonio. Just, By the way, were you living, still living in, in uh, Florida or, at this time? Orlando. Yeah, I was living and, in Orlando. And you, you and Stephanie have a growing family, right? You have, four kids. Uh, four four kids. kids at this point, right? We just moved to Orlando. That was the crazy thing. We moved from Memphis to Orlando to help take care of my parents. And uh, uh-huh. so life was good, man. I mean, we got Disney passes, you know, just living the dream. And uh, this phone call flipped our world upside down and, and became pastor of this church. Which is so crazy, Jeff, because because you work in the church world, you know, you know this this type of transition doesn't take place this quick. October, he called me. I started as pastor in January. Holy cow! <laughs> okay, so I already know uh, some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes, but now I need your listeners to hear. Okay, so he's stepping into a role he's never done before. So what? So he's stepping into a massive church, and he's never done this before. So what? Now give him the so what, Ed. Tell him yeah. what you learn when you show up and look into the deep, deep, deep into the finances of this yeah. church. Yeah. So uh, long story short, I mean, 369 employees. I'd never led a, I've never led a team before. <laughs> 369 employees and a multi, multi-million dollar operation. And, and just for uh, audiences' um, awareness, where we're located on the north side, this church exploded in growth so fast it had to build quickly. Yeah, and um, you know our worship, which means deep. take out some loans and buy yeah, some buildings. Yeah, you got. I mean, I always say rent on the north side of San Antonio is not cheap. And right. So the church exploded. The founding pastor is just—he was voted top twenty-five most influential man in San Antonio before I came. So he's wow. a leader amongst leaders. Yeah. But just a good down-to-earth man that God greatly has used and is using still Uh in his retired life to build a church that I asked him, I said, Pastor Robert, what was your envision of of a church this size? I never thought it was going to be bigger than 500. (laughs) And spoiler alert, tell everybody about how many a week are showing up right now to Community Bible Church. Right now. Uh It's just crazy. And so he so the church had to build quickly. Well, that that left a debt that that was about twenty one million dollars of facilities. And if you're if you're looking at forty acres in a facility like ours, that's called good debt. I get yeah. it. That's good debt. It's it's all like assets and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But man, when you're a new pastor that wears skinny jeans and uh, doesn't wear boots and doesn't have a belt buckle. And not that Robert did, but I mean, it's, you know, San Antonio's Texas, man. I, I wasn't yeah. a Texas guy. I wasn't, I was a Florida guy and uh, coming in, taking over for a legacy guy like that. They even say in research, 30% of a church will leave when a new leader comes in. Yeah, of course. And if it's somebody who is kind of the established founding guy, somebody who's built the whole thing on their shoulders, it's going to be more like 70% of yeah. the church. And that's what happened, Jeff, just so everybody knows. 4,000 people left the church when I became pastor. Holy smokes. So here's a dude that's never done this before that has been on the road for 13 years. And I get it. You get selective praise. You know, people telling you, you're awesome. You're awesome. If you're not awesome, you just never hear it. (laughs) Right. Now I step into an environment where, not that I ever thought I was the man, but I I just felt like I was really good at what I did as a communicator. And um, long story short, 4,000 people walk out the door and, and, and I'm like, dang, I suck that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's and all. And, and then on top of that, Jeff, that's where the financial situation, because in a church, it's about giving. You're not yeah. selling a product. Right. And if we don't know what's happening and we don't really like the guy, then giving just kind of. And that's what happened. We were behind budget. 
first year had to lay off 42 people. Wow. The paper writes an article, the church is falling apart. I, I'm like, this is the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah, what did, did I do to myself and my family? Right? And my family. Why did we move to San Antonio? That's exactly what happened. And and I'll tell you, and I'm not I'm not trying to over spiritualize this. I mean, this God was like, hey, because I told I told God, I was just like real real pissed at God. I was just like, hey, you sent me here to kill me. You straight up sent me here. <laughs> These to kill people me. are going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I, and and like uh, this is I wasn't there, the best there's fit. pitchforks and torches out in the parking lot waiting for me to, b- between but, the door and the car. But Robert Emmett, the founding pastor, was like, "You're God's man. Hang in there. It's you know just wow a huge cheerleader for wow, me. Wow, man. And um, and lo and behold, we we just began to make some financial decisions of of going hey. Whatever, 10%, this is going to sound crazy to our audience, 10% of everything that comes in is going to go out to love our city and support what wow. helping people. All While you're 20, I want to make sure that everybody didn't miss that. While you're $21 million in debt, you guys decide we're just going to give away 10% of everything that comes in anyway, because we're already $21 million in debt. Exactly. And a, a guy wrote me a letter and he said, you're the biggest fool. I can remember this letter verbatim. Wow. He says you're the biggest fool to to be twenty one million dollars in debt, and you're going to give away three percent of gonna, everything that comes. Yeah, in. you're going to give away money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and um, and sure enough, in two thousand seventeen, so whatever came in in sixteen, um, that was our budget for seventeen. So we're talking about giving away almost two million dollars while you're twenty one wow. million dollars in debt. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I stand on 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 this as truth. You can't outgive God. And mm-hmm. what ended up happening is when we started doing that and started loving the city at that level of just blessing people with time, energy, and resources. Yeah, people started becoming very open-handed. It's it, you're not going to believe this, but in two years, two years, this church became debt-free. You paid off $21 million worth of debt in two years on a budget of about $20 million a year? Correct. That's insane. So what ended up happening is that when we made that decision to give 10% away, more margin came. So more money came in our budget. So we had more money than what we had budgeted for. We took the increase. I'm a a Dave Ramsey guy. So I'm like, act your wage. So we're going to operate lean. Low personnel number. We're uh-huh. gonna have leadership involvement. We got we gotta give away leadership to volunteers. Yeah. And so let's empower people. Let's let's right size our staff, have the right, right people on the team, and let's recruit people that would just love to use their gifting in a volunteer role. And let's get our staff to buy into the mission to underspend their budget. I use this phrase, Jeff, all the time. Let's look like we shopped at Nordstrom's. But really, we're shopping at Marshalls and TJ. Maxx. All right, okay. Let's be thrifty. So you take, you take low personnel, you take a staff that believes in the mission and underspends uh-huh. their budget, and then you take the increase of what people were giving and that margin. We just started dumping down to debt, just yeah. paying wow. it off. I'm burning bank notes, you know, quarter by quarter, just burning. Wow, man. And uh, all that to say. Right now, we have given, I've been here as pastor seven years and three months. We've given away nearly $20 million Wow! to missions, loving our city, uh, feeding people. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, what's been amazing is, is we now give away 23% of everything that comes in. Oh my goodness, man. That's incredible. So yeah. it's, been a, it's been an incredible journey. And talking about showing your community how much you care, man, $20 million of putting your money where your mouth is, there's no way to miss how much Community Bible Church cares about their community. Well, I'll tell you what we're about to do, Jeff, and this is super exciting because when a church, right. when a church gets freed up, yeah, we are about to build what we're calling Champion Plaza, and people can check this out at championplaza.com. Champion we- Plaza. We are building a 24,000 square foot facility on our property, not connected to our church. We built a park, which that's a whole nother story. 
we built a park, splash pad, basketball courts, uh-huh, pickleball right. courts, and said to our city, come and play. You don't have to go to our church. Come here. And that place is unbelievable. So we're building this champion plaza attached to it. Have a medical clinic. It'll take Medicaid. Wow. We're going to have nice. a biblical counseling center that will be yeah. coupled with psychology. Suicide rates have escalated at 200%. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're military town, USA. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pro first responders. And so we're offering a counseling center. We're going to have a thrift store that will employ second chance people. We're going to have a restaurant. Yeah. I'm, I'm praying God will give us a Waffle House and, uh, All right. and a food court to give opportunities for people who want to work. Yeah. Listen, there is not a shortage of jobs in America right now. There's yeah. a shortage of workers. That's right. Yeah. And and people need to hear this. There are folks that have messed up in their past that can't get a right. clean background check. Yeah. They've done the work. They've done the rehab. Yeah. But their past has stained them. And what we have said is, we will work with you to give you job opportunities here and uh, we're going to work with local businesses as well to create a job pathway program. And the best part about this is we're building this facility cash money. Wow. And just saying, God, everything you've blessed us with, we want to find a way to love our city uh-huh. and love people. Hey, for the CEO of Waffle House, who's obviously listening to this episode right now, why don't you go ahead and put a Waffle House right there in Champion Plaza and show the community, show the San Antonio uh, metro area how much of a difference one church that's willing to help people that have had some mistakes and made some, uh, you know, made some mistakes in their past, how much of a difference they can make when things turn around for them. Come on, Waffle House. We'd be the, the, it'd be the first Waffle House in San Antonio. All our listeners, don't you take your Waffle House for granted. That's right. Come on, Waffle House. Um, hey, Ed, you, man, you have so much going on. You are doing so much in your community. Man, I really meant it when I said a few minutes ago in this episode, I, I, I get a chance to speak to a lot of churches. I get a chance to kind of measure the attitude and the culture of a church. And Ed, I don't think I've been to two other churches in my life where the guys of the church are as free, they're having as much fun as when I was with you guys at Community Bible Church. You're you're building something beautiful there, man. Mm, thank you, brother. But you got a lot of irons in the fire. So tell me, how do you find time to breathe again? And now I'm putting breathe again in air quotes because I'm shamelessly pushing your book right now, man. Tell me, how did you find time to write it? How do you find time to actually breathe again with all of the responsibilities of a parent, a husband, and leading a church of 15,000 people? Well, first of all, breathe again is no longer in print. <laughs> okay, so never mind, y'all. Don't worry about that book. <laughs> I think we bought up all the last copies. All right. But uh, it, it may be out there on Amazon. Who, who knows? But that book specifically, to somebody, Jeff, I really feel like this is in my spirit. There are people that God tells them to do something. It's a crazy dream. Maybe God didn't even tell you to do something, but you got a crazy dream and everybody around you tells you it won't work. Just do it. Yeah. I wrote a book because I felt like it was a bucket list item. It sat on a shelf, Jeff, for 10 years. 10 years. And, and then all of a sudden, somebody said, hey, would you like to write a book? I go, it's already done. It's already done. And, and that's how that happened. Really? <laughs> You've got more than a couple in print right now. So what's your latest book? I, I don't have a latest book. Uh, I mean, it's some textbooks and stuff like that along uh-huh. the way. But man, I... I uh, I'm waiting on the right opportunity. I think the yeah. next I, I think the next one may be Dream Again. I love the story of Joseph. You talk about Oh the, man, the that's a great title right there, dude. Yeah. Dream Again. Uh-huh. For somebody yeah. that just needs to dream again because life has been so hard and you've been squeezed and pressed and wonder if you got a sec a second chance opportunity, I'd say dream again. Well, I hope there's been some listeners that are saying, look, with the deck that was stacked against Ed, if he can overcome growing up in housing, struggling at school, taking over a church that is really, really influential, but in, in got a lot of problems behind the scenes. And if you can handle those kind of challenges, you really are unbeatable. And maybe somebody's listening right now and, and uh, they have this dream in their hearts to go do something 
but people have been telling them their whole life, it ain't never going to happen. It won't work. Mm. It's a, it's a fool's errand. Don't even bother wasting your time. And maybe what they need to hear in this episode is what you just said to them. Like, don't listen to the haters, go ahead and do it anyway. Even if it sits on the shelf for 10 years, even Mm -hmm. if it takes 10 years to come to fruition, do it anyway. If it's a dream. That's a good word. Well, you and you listen, you asked about my family and and just what we got going on. We got a great team here. We got a great yeah. staff. Um, you can't defer culture. So I'm very involved in what we do. I mean, you can't when it comes to leadership, you can't you can't abdicate a spot and a space. You can't you can't affect the overall culture if you're not in it. And so I'm learning more and more and more uh, that that is the ministry of presence and allowing a team to know that you're around, you're here, you're believing yeah. what God's doing. And, uh, and none of this would be possible, obviously without Jesus, but my wife is my best friend. And, um, for us, you make time for the things you love, Jeff, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if somebody uh-huh. said, Hey, we're going to have a basketball session at 6am tomorrow. And I'm, now, depending on how my knees are feeling, that that's questionable, All but right. you yep. make time for the things that you love. Yep. And, my wife and I, we just make time. You just make time. Good for you, man. Make time. And we got four kids, uh, one in college, one about to be in college. We got a, a sophomore in college, a senior in high school, a junior in high school, and an eighth grader. And uh, just trying to to be the best dad I could be. Yeah. Because at the end of the this day, is a- this is what I'll say. It doesn't matter how big this church is. That's right. And yep. it doesn't matter how great of an impact in the city we may have. If my if, wife and my kids don't see a present dad, yeah, somebody if, could take my place as pastor, Jeff. That's a true story. If you could, if you lose your family in the process, none of the rest of that doesn't stuff matter. matters. It can't make up for it. Doesn't matter. So to me, yeah. that's that's mission critical for me. Yeah, healthy family. Hey man, you always inspire me. I want others to be inspired by you. So people are right now listening. They're like, man, I got to know more about Ed. So how do they find out about you? How do they find out about Community Bible Church? Yeah, cool. Uh, man, thank you, first of all, for even saying that. Pastor Ed Newton on Instagram, uh, on Twitter, at Ed underscore Newton. But I'll tell you the thing I, I, I'm really excited about. We offer, like, Ed, if you go to an app store right now, search Ed Newton. I have a free app. Ed Newton, and it gives you a daily inspirational thought, devotional, every day. All right. Every day. And there you can go and see video clips and all that kind of stuff. But to me, the 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 the, the, the worth of the download is getting a devotional thought every day that just starts your day right. Yeah. So then our church is communitybible.com. Here's an easy website to remember, onlinechurch.com. You could you can actually be a part of our live services. Yeah. Um, and we got five of those. So and we'll put links to this yeah. in the notes to this uh, episode. But your app, if people are riding driving right now and they missed it, but they want to go check this out when they stop, what uh what do they search for in Google Play or the App Store? Just go to App Just Store search for Ed Newton. Ed Newton. All right. That's it. Ed, you inspire me, man. I am glad to have this conversation with you. Looking forward to getting with you together again in person sometime soon, man. Well, I talked about you the other day. Uh, somebody was talking about this event and uh, in Pensacola, Florida. And then when I brought up your name, I was like, listen, the best guy you can get no, for that event come is on, you. man. And you know what he told me? You're already committed to me. All right. <laughs> nice. Hey, so, man, hey, it's great seeing you. you. Tell, give my best to Stephanie and the children. Sure will. Thanks again, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks again. We'll see you around. Blessings. Hey, guys, I hope you had as much fun in this conversation as I did with Ed. You can just tell by the language that I really, really respect this guy. Anybody who can handle the disabilities and the difficulties that he had in childhood is unbeatable. A guy who can overcome academic probation and go on to receive the education that he had, this dude is really unbeatable. But he inspires me in a whole lot of other ways, like his commitment to his community and his commitment to his family. So I hope you were as inspired as I was by Ed Newton's discussion with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Hey, we've got some pretty amazing people tuning in and listening every episode. And this week's Fan of the Week, one of those amazing people this week that I want to highlight is Hannah Bowen. 
Hannah, thank you for staying connected with us. Thank you for watching this podcast. Thank you for being involved with Unbeatable. In other words, Hannah, thank you for being part of the Unbeatable Army. And if you just stumbled across this podcast for the first time, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media? Or better yet, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this channel on your favorite podcast platform? If you're looking for us on social media, you can find us out there pretty much anywhere. We'll just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. But I just mentioned the Unbeatable Army. This is a hardcore connected group of about 2,000 fans and listeners that I deliver content to all week long, not just another or new episodes, but I try to send content directly to the Unbeatable Army. It's totally free. If you want to become part of this Unbeatable Army also, just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for joining me for this episode, and I'll see you right back here next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.